Insider with the voice of the Wildcats, Wyatt Thompson, and KMAN Sports Director, Mitch Fortner. Okay, so all I want to... So all I want to say about Sunday's win for the Dallas Cowboys, which... I mean, if you didn't see, you've already seen the Deuce Vaughn effect. 40 to nothing over the New York football giants. But all I want to say is, Mike McCarthy, if you would have played Deuce Vaughn more than just in garbage time, you may win that game 90 to nothing. That's all I'm saying. Welcome to Wildcat Insider. Mitch Fortner, the voice of the Cats. Wyatt Thompson, AJ Shaw is on the board today. 785-537-1350 is the number to call if you want to jump in and ask a question. How about that? Deuce makes the roster, gets a little bit of garbage time last night in his first uh, real action in the NFL. So excited for him. Well, I love that uh, when he like officially gets in the game, he was going to be in an early like third down, and then the Giants end up taking a timeout. He comes out, doesn't get to be in in that play, but he does come into garbage time. And by that, you know it, it's already forty to nothing. The game's over. We're midway through the fourth, and. You know, MetLife is getting pretty close to empty Uh at that point. There's, you know, obviously some Cowboy fans left over. And you could hear faintly in the background on Sunday Night Football, Deuce. Like, you know, the Cowboys are well aware of uh, the talent that Deuce Vaughn has. But he didn't have the, you know, first string lineman blocking for him or anything. But Deuce Vaughn's a first string running back. He could have really tore it up with the first string out there. But maybe he'll get a much bigger opportunity down the road. I certainly hope so. But... I, I mean, I, nobody's more excited than I am to have Deuce Vaughn as a Dallas Cowboy, my favorite team, but also very excited about K-State football start 2-0, and uh, we're obviously going to break down the win over Troy back on Saturday, 42-13. Coming up in hour number two, K-State Athletics Director Gene Taylor will join us, first time here in the uh, 23-24 academic year. Uh, but I do want to kick things off by, you know, obviously today is the 22nd anniversary of the 9-11 attacks, so... I want to actually bring in AJ for just a moment. So get ready. You're going to talk here. AJ is celebrating a birthday today. He on Twitter said that today is his 22nd birthday. So I I did the math. I was like, holy cow. AJ was born on 9-11-2001, the actual day. So AJ, I wanted to ask you, have, have your parents ever talked to you about that day? That you, oh, absolutely. Do you know what? Do you know what time you were born? I was born. I was born eight sixteen p.m. at night. Okay. Um, so we're talking. I mean, we're talking twelve hours yes. later. I mean, yeah. the hospital I was born in was basically shut down. My mom was in labor at the time the first plane hit the South Tower of the World Trade Center. And pretty much all the doctors were mainly focused on the TV. Uh, And she's sitting there saying, "Uh, I'm trying to have a baby here. uh, But it's 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 one of those days that I've been taught over my life, you know, as great as day as it is for us. Just just remember that, you know, there are people out there today that are remembering families. And, uh, yeah, of course, we all you know, we all send our prayers to the. Uh, families of the 2,977 Americans, plus the ones who, you know, are still suffering from health issues to this day from For September sure. 11th. For sure. Uh, 
another question, AJ. So since you were born on that day, you obviously, you know, I, I remember very well. I was 11 years old, mm-hmm. and I remember watching it live on TV. Is that like, is 9-11 like talked about in schools, like yes. history classes and stuff? Yes. Okay. I, I remember every year they would they would talk about it briefly, but we would always talk about it every year. And it was interesting because a lot of the people I grew up with were born around that time, so they kind yeah. of remember a little bit of it kind of how the world kind of changed that day because i mean immediately we went into a war after that and the the war you know the country changed and it, you know it's it's really kind of been different ever since then but yeah it, it it they always did talk about it in school from my recollection yes see my biggest takeaway was watching the the second plane on live on tv going into the uh you know the second tower uh i remember going to school like literally 10 minutes later I because I lived I lived a block away from Morganville Elementary and I was going in telling everybody have you heard what's going on nobody knew because first of all the the school I'm pretty sure did not have internet or we didn't have like actual TV that we could watch and watch the actual you know the the news coverage of it so nobody really had a clue about it Kids on the school bus didn't know. The teachers that are already at school didn't know because they didn't have cell phones. People weren't calling them. And that, that another sign of how times have changed. I mean, we would find out in two seconds if something crazy like that happened these days. But And then, of course, the next day of school, the whole day we're talking about it. Yeah. It, it's interesting because as I reflect back on, you know, everybody remembers where they were, right? I mean, there are a few events in history that that's – kind of just the way it is. Um, My two would be the Kennedy assassination, and I remember I was just a little boy and my mother watching the television just crying her eyes out. But on 9-11, I remember um, being in the uh, sports room at at KOA in Denver and Don Martin, our operations manager, walking in. and I mean, he was, like, visibly shaken, and, and and basically said, until further notice, this sports department will be part of the news department. Um, America's under attack. That <laughs> that you you just don't forget things like that. No, it's crazy. No, and I remember you know when I interned at the Howard Stern show, there was a person that worked there that was in one of the World Trade Center buildings when the plane actually crashed on the first one. Wow. And just hearing stories about the evacuation, just getting out of there, and you know, luckily wasn't caught in uh, any of the truly damaged parts of the building and got out of there before the collapse and everything. That was, you know, just hearing those stories, I, those are things I'll never forget about it. But, you know, and moving there 11 years later, I mean, everybody still remembered it very well about what it was like and and uh, so many people trying to go help out afterwards. And, yeah, just things I'll never forget. I mean, it'll go to my grave just – vividly remembering watching it on TV and yeah just never forgetting I mean that's the that's the whole motto right never forget 9-11-2001 and of course not just New York City but the the crash in Pennsylvania and of course the Pentagon and in, mm-hmm. in Washington DC but uh Wyatt let's get to uh Saturday's win over the Troy Trojans again the final score 42-13 um obviously there's a lot of takeaways from this and you know we I, I guess we'll actually start with it kind of feeling like, and I'm not the first person to say this, that it wasn't the most satisfying 42-13 victory, I guess. Where Cats, you know, they pull away with a couple of more touchdowns in the fourth quarter. But I think what most people will take away from that game was it was a grind in that second and into the third quarter for the offense 
to score some points where they had five drives there where they only scored seven points. But the defense was still great. But the offense, they, they had to go out there and, and figure it out after a, a tough grind there at the end of the first half. But they did get the touchdown. Well, there are a lot of things that come to mind when we think back to last Saturday's game. And I think one about you know K-State's good start. The first drive was very good. The initial part of the game where you're up 14 to nothing, very good. But give Troy a lot of credit. You know, we talked in pregame about this team has won 12 in a row. They're very well coached. They have a winning culture. And you can't understate winning culture. Those types of teams expect to win even if they're behind 14 to nothing to start. And the next thing you know, it's 14 to 10. I was really proud of K-State. One, getting that touchdown right before half, which, which I thought was extraordinarily important because if you don't score there and it's 14 to 10 and they have the ball to start the third, you're thinking if they go down and score, game on and people are going to be bringing up Tulane and all of that kind of stuff yeah. again, right or wrong. And then you get into the third quarter and you kind of fight through some things there. And as you said, the defense really four straight times pretty much stoned them. And once K-State got to, I don't know if rolling is the right word, but they got a few things going offensively then and uh, kind of put the game on ice. But I think the coaches, uh, Coach Kleiman talked about this, several others did, the players certainly did, wanted a game like that in, in some ways because you want to be challenged, you know, before you go out on the road for the first time and face some of the teams that – uh, K-State's going to see here in the coming weeks in, in the in the Big 12. That's that's what uh, non-con is supposed to be all about. Well, certainly one of the players that did talk about the challenge that Troy brought to the table was quarterback Will Howard. He finished 21 of 32 with three touchdown passes and an interception. That third touchdown pass, by the way, it was kind of like that side shovel pass to Trayshawn Ward. It did go down as a touchdown pass, so that's how he got to number three. And 250 yards through the year, and a number of wide receivers certainly stepped up in that game, and I want to definitely touch on that here in a little bit as well. But Will Howard said after the game, you know, he did not have a perfect day. He threw an interception, triple coverage, should have never thrown that football. was not a perfect day for him. He appreciated the challenge from Troy. It wasn't perfect by any stretch. Um, I think we had some rough moments really in that second quarter there, but I think we needed this. You know, this was a, this was a game where we learned a lot, and that was a really, really good team. That Troy team, I think they won 12 straight. Man, they, I mean, they got one of the tougher defenses I've ever gone against. I mean, those dudes were hitting. They were, they, they did some really good stuff schematically. Heated us up pretty well, and they disguised everything really well, so it was hard to see what they were doing. Yeah, defensively for Troy, you know, game plan there for a while, I thought was executed well, where they were going to stop the run and they did a pretty good job of that for a while um and then they wanted to sell out on ben sinnott they did not want to let ben sinnott we've seen it in games we saw it against simo where ben is way out in the open nobody's <laughs> even within 10 yards of him and he gets a catch and he and he takes off but troy's defense was great k-state with the receiving game though was able to score some points i think you'll agree with this but there are several things that make good defenses their head coach is a defensive guy, and I think he's very, very good, John Sumrall. So I'm going to yeah. start with that. Usually when you're competing for a conference championship, you have difference-making guys at every level of your defense. And that is certainly the case with Troy, I think, when you look up front with the Jibinor kid, Buda Jones, Javon Solomon. That's pretty legit. That's, I mean, it was hard running against those guys. 
And then I, I thought Jaden McDonald, the linebacker, played really, really, really well. And we said in pregame, watch number two, Reddy Stewart, a corner, and their free safety, Del Pettis. Those guys, especially Stewart, really legit guys. Um, and, and I thought they did a really good job of frustrating K-State for a decent part of the day. And yet you look up and K-State, when it's all said and done, had you know 42 points on the board and, and a second consecutive win. The defense was really rock solid. I think they gave gave up the one forty yard forty ish yard run uh, to Vidal. But other than that, and a couple of spectacular catches, uh, one that I'm telling you, the the one that Ross made one handed was as good a catch as oh, I've seen in a while. That, that was, was like that was the wow, best. Wow, that was something. Best catch at the bill I've seen since Curry Sexton's one hander against. Texas yeah. Tech, I think. Yeah, in yeah. the north end zone there in the far corner. Yeah, yeah. I'm with you. Yeah, I think that's right. So, again, facing some adversity and and finding a way to to get, get it done, I think, says a lot about uh, this team moving forward. Yeah, it was a huge part of the, uh, the two drives, back-to-back scoring drives for Troy, some big plays in there. Speaking of another one-handed catch, I mean, that's how they scored their touchdown with Chris Lewis, that one-handed grab. I was yes. like, my goodness. Yeah. These guys are got some pretty st- – Pretty good hands, and they I don't, definitely don't want to take away their ability to, to move the ball with the throwing game, 167 for Gunnar Watson. Um, but I do want to give a shout-out to the K-State receivers. Phillip Brooks got going early, 94 yards and a score, had a rushing touchdown as well. Keegan Johnson, we finally got to see him in the second half. He nearly scored a touchdown. Tried to get R.J. Garcia going. It just, you know, just couldn't really spring him open that well. But Jaden Jackson... I have been very pleased with his route running and catching ability. He has had some solid hands. He was four targets, four catches. That 40-yard grab and double coverage, though, I thought was the catch of the game. That was a phenomenal play. It got K-State, really got the momentum rolling, though, when they scored back-to-back touchdowns. I think everybody that follows K-State will say that Jaden has been a really nice surprise, if you will, and and in part because – of the injury to Keegan Johnson. And it was good to see Keegan get in there and do some things on on Saturday in the second half. But Jaden has given K-State a big punch there, and I think he'll continue to do that. This is a guy that's been around a little bit, has played some football prior to K-State. You know, the coaches kept saying, you know, this guy, and I'm talking about the camp time there, he's got it in him. He's just got to get to the point where he's doing it every single day. He'd have one great practice and then maybe one or two where he was just, you know, kind of there. Needed to work on that and bring some more consistency to the table. And I, I think just if you just judge him on the first couple of games, okay, let's go. Let's do this. And by the way, Jay Jackson, that touchdown right before half, had a great block. He, he kind of actually blocked two guys when he was really just trying to block one, and they got Phillip Brooks loose down the far sideline, and without that block, you maybe are just getting three instead of seven yeah, well, on that drive. Well, Coach Kleiman, we were, he was on with Stan and I in postgame before he went to the press conference, and and Stan mentioned the block by Jaden, and he said his angle was not very good and he didn't really see it, but based on what how Stan described it, he said, I'm anxious to see the tape. Yeah. So I'm anxious to see what the boss says tomorrow at the press conference about that block because watching it, it looked pretty darn good to me. Well, 
the offense got its momentum back in the second half, but I think that's really in part of what the defense was able to do early in the second half, especially in that third quarter. And that's where I want to go to after the break. The impact of the defense against Troy, plus we're going to hear from K-State defensive lineman Khalid Duke when we come back on Wildcat Insider. We're back. Wildcat insider Mitch Fortner, the voice of the Cats. Wyatt Thompson, A.J. Shaw is on our board today. The phone number 537-1350 if you want to chime in. And give us your thoughts on K-State's 42-13 win this past Saturday against the Troy Trojans. A little worried there for a little bit when it got to 14-10. But then for the rest of the game, you know, the K-State offense scores four more touchdowns. And by the way, the K-State defense only gives up three more points the rest of the way, and Cats move on to 2-0 and before they head to Columbia, Missouri to face the Missouri Tigers. This coming Saturday, by the way, 11 a.m. kickoff, PowerCat game day, 7 in the morning. We also found out earlier today the Big 12 opener, which will be at the Bill, a week from Saturday, will be a 7 p.m. Uh, kickoff from the Bill, so why make sure to get a nap in there? I'm, I'm going to need one as well. It's going to be a late kickoff at the Bill, but PowerCat game day will start, of course, 3 that afternoon. Well, there will be no nap that day. Uh, there's way too much football on for me to for me to do that. I, I I'm excited about that for the fans too. I, I mean that's uh, it's been a while since we've had a 7 p.m. game, hasn't it? It just feels the, like it is. So I, the reason I remember this because Manhattan played a uh, state championship game that same day is the only reason I could do both games, and that's because the KU game last year was also seven o'clock. Okay, so but that was the only one last year. Okay, that kicked out late. Uh, FS1 throwing me a boom last year, and I really appreciate it. <laughs> um, so we, we talked a lot of offense in the in the previous segment in the win on Saturday. You know, defensively, you know, a huge takeaway for me was how important the start to that third quarter was. So the first four drives of Troy in the second half were all four three and outs, and it gave K State multiple opportunities at strong field position. But also in those three and outs, I mean, it's negative five yards of offense, if I if I did my math correctly. Uh, actually, I think it's negative one. Negative one yards um, for, for Troy to begin that second half. And that really allowed K-State to figure out some things offensively, get the ball moving once again. And it took a couple of drives because K-State started the second half three and out and uh, twice. But they finally get that touchdown to go up you know, multiple scores. They're up 28 to 10. You feel like K-State finally has some momentum. And that was the thing. K-State just had a tough time sustaining momentum in the game offensively. Defensively, though, in both areas, stopping the run, stopping the pass. I felt like I truly saw some consistency all over the defense. Well, I think everything starts up front with the defense. It's just no matter who you are, what's going on, and here are some numbers that I, I think are pretty impressive against that type of team that had their quarterback back, that good running back back, Asa Martin, who was a really nice transfer student for them, and so on and so forth. They had only two rushing first downs on the entire day. They had <laughs> 2.5 yards per rush for the game and had 70 rushes in 28, 70 yards in 28 attempts. Yeah, and the, I mean, the big one from Vidal was yeah. 45 yards, and they they still only averaged 2.5 yards per carry. Yeah, that's that's crazy. So he carries it 17 times 
for 83 yards minus that 46-yard run, you do the math. That's, I mean, that's good. Um, the other factor that I think that we need to talk about here is, is, is that when you look up, up front, it's obvious that Duke, Stufflebean, and the guys on the other side with, with Matt Lack and Mott are playing well. But now you've got that rotation in there with Uso, Damian Ilalio, and Javon Banks. And those, got, those other two guys aren't necessarily playing at the level that Uso is, but they have been more than serviceable. Would you agree with that? Yes, and I love yeah. the disruption from the nose guards. Exactly. I mean, Uso is, I mean, leverage all the time. He seems to be the stronger one of the battle every single time he goes into battle with an offensive lineman, a center, or whatever. You know, Javon Banks, I think, deserves a, a big shout out for his performance on Saturday, Spe- specifically, you know, a play that was huge was when Troy was going for it on fourth and one in that first half. And you saw, who I guess Austin Moore got the credit for the tackle, but the true disruption was Javon Banks. No doubt, because he got underneath the center yeah. and the guard and basically pushed the pile back. By the way, K-State had nine, nine tackles for loss in the game, too. So when you take what we just said about Javon and that defensive front, and then what the linebackers are doing, and then the, quote, coverability with <laughs> – I mean, you you heard Coach talk about the the covering skills in the in the in the post game of Jacob Parrish, and then and then Marquis Siegel being back and the way he tackled. Now all of a sudden, things look pretty good defensively. Let's be honest. I don't want to make them out to be the '85 Bears yet, but against that team, I thought they were pretty darn good on a day where they needed to be really good. But I tell you what, Marquis Siegel took him to second play on defense to say, hey, you saw that, I'm uh, I'm playing today. <laughs> he got Look there at in me. A hurry. I smacked yes, this dude on the second play of the game, and then the next drive he had another big tackle. Yep. You know, with the safeties, I, you know, I thought Kobe Savage could have played a little bit faster, maybe a little bit stronger with this tackling. It sounds crazy, right, telling him to play a little bit faster. Just the awareness and taking off a little bit quicker. He can play downhill so fast. Yeah. I don't think he's playing at his full potential early in the season. Siegel played well, and also – you mentioned the corners. I mean, Will Lee, it seemed like in that first half, he was all over the place. He was. He Make, tackled great. Oh, yes, he did. Yeah. By the way, uh, somebody was saying, like, I should start saying Willie Wildcat or something, or, like, the fans <laughs> should start saying Wildcat after I say Willie. I got a plan for that. Maybe we'll get it in on the uh, the UCF game. We'll see. Plus, and, and Jacob Parrish, I mean, his coverage was darn near locked down there for a while. I'm also a big fan of EJ Payne. I mean, this is a guy who – is just a true sophomore and has a lot of good football left in him, and he is really starting to make his way, isn't he? Um, and that's – I think there are other guys that are going to to make their way and be more significant in terms of roles as the year goes on. Uh, Jordan Wright comes to mind. Uh, a couple of other guys that we haven't seen a lot of yet because of injury, but uh, I think Nikendra Steiger, before this season is all said and done, people will be a little bit more familiar with his name. And Tyler Nellum, who was the transfer uh, corner from SEMO, uh, he had a little uh, injury th- issue in, in the uh, camp and and still is not not quite back, but I, I think he's going to help a lot. But, boy. You have to be impressed with 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 Parrish, but 
I think everybody saw what Will Lee is capable of Saturday. He he did a really nice job. And got an interception. He did. Unfortunately, Will threw one a couple of plays later, but he, <laughs> he got that interception. Casey forcing a couple of turnovers in the game. There was that sack by Toby Osinsami. I mean, we've already seen in these first couple of games just flashes of how good the last two recruiting classes have been sure. for K-State. Yeah. Uh, especially, you know, 2022 is already really showing up. And that started last year. We're going to see these true freshmen play a little bit more as the season goes on. But, you know, Toby had the last sack of the game. And, you know, they, they had him on the field with Khalid Duke a couple of times, getting down on uh, in a three-point stance and rushing the quarterback. And, and Khalid Duke got home twice, and, and Toby had the last sack of the game. That was a fumble recovery by uh, Uso Samalu. Well, I don't know how you could not be excited about the future of Toby Osinsami and, and frankly, for what he's doing now. And I love Asa Newsom. I think he has a chance to be really good, too. Um, and I, I know he hasn't really played a big role yet. It's been more on special teams. But watch the progress of number 15, Kenigel Thomas, too, at a corner spot. He, he's got a chance to be way good at, time, at some point. K-State uh, in the release, and I and I have another nugget to go along with this, but in their, their top five, number four is where K-State, through two weeks of football, ranks just in defense numbers. K-State is number nine in the country in sacks per game with four. They've had four in each game so far, and Khalid Duke has – Three of those eight tack, or three of those eight sacks so far this season. Scoring defense, the Cats are seventh in the country at six and a half points a game. Of course, had the uh, the shutout in week one. Tackles for loss, fifth in the nation, ten a game. They have twenty on the season, which is an incredible uh, run so far. And then, by the way, rushing defense, gigantic stat here, first in the nation, thirty eight yards per game. And I want to add to this real quick because I did this, uh, checked this out yesterday, and I found out that. So K-State is the only team in the nation so far this year that has three players that have at least three tackles for loss so far this year. There's some that have two, but nobody has three. And those three are Nate Matlack, Austin Moore, who has played lights out so far, and then, of course, the guy I mentioned, Khalid Duke. And I want to hear from Khalid Duke right now, who spoke to the media after the game. Okay, so is it Khalid or Khalid? Uh, it's Khalid. Okay, yeah, so that's how you probably say it. Yeah, yeah. but uh, I really don't matter to me. I'll tell, I'll tell Clyman to get it right. <laughs> yeah. How fun was that today for you? Uh, it was fun, you know, just to get out there, you know, play fast. Um, uh, we didn't start as strong as we wanted to start, but, um, you know, second half came out and played fast. It was fun. Most of the first half, you guys were getting some pressure, but he was still getting the ball off. Yeah. What changed? Uh... Just um, I remember Coach Wyatt came in and said like um, like you know like he getting the ball fast so so like it just means that that like we got to come harder you know like come faster off the ball make our move faster like jab faster do everything faster. Sorry, you're starting to feel a little bit more comfortable there at back yeah. at the end. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah, um, I always feel like Dean um, was like more fun than linebacker. Um, uh, I still like enjoy playing linebacker. But I always felt like DN was more of my thing, like, you know, just putting my hand, like, in the dirt and stuff, yeah. Billy, we've seen you played linebacker. You just mentioned it. Toby, mm-hmm. then playing linebacker, goes down, puts his hand in the dirt to rush the passer. Yeah. What would you see from him, and how cool is it to see a guy uh, like that do that? Man, Toby's just so, like, fast. Uh, he, Toby has all, like, all the um, pass rushing um, intangibles, you know. 
just smart and so like it's always fun to see him like play fast and come off the edge like that uh, and and like he just started pass rushing like this year so it's just shocking just to see how fast he is and like the moves he makes it's just crazy and coach climate talked about one way that you guys are able to get all those sacks is to make sure that you and nate are fresh consistently mm-hmm. does do you feel a difference when you go back out there in a third long situation you feel better have better legs yeah mm-hmm. like uh why it um rotates us very well so yeah um just like being fresh, you know, and the lineman is not as fresh as you, so it just gives you like an advantage. Yeah. Both Will and Austin talked about the final four minutes of the half and the first four minutes of the second half being a huge key for this team this year. Obviously, you had a big play in this first four minutes of the second half. Uh, can you just talk a little bit about that and how you guys are putting an emphasis on it? Um, so we got this thing called like four over four, and it's like um, coming out um, on the half. Everybody has to be focused, locked in. That is a big part of the game, they say. So we just always try to like hold ourselves to that standard of like playing fast during that time. And uh, are you going fishing during the second? celebration is that the one this year and is yeah. there any reason behind that uh, uh i don't know if y'all remember but like OU, we had played OU here 2021 and tim horn had did it and i had uh, and i just remember like telling him i was like bro like next time i was like bro i'm gonna take it and so i did yeah <laughs> cool. thanks man yeah. so you're not a fisherman then no i am yeah you yeah. are okay yeah i love the fish too sorry man i i, I love the celebrations this year i i thought it would end last week but Will Howard and Hayden Gillum like doing the shotgunning beers and then slamming the cans down on the ground, miming that. Like they still did it last week, so I guess that's going to stick around. But what I want to get to about like Khalid Duke, and also I, w- I want to put Nate Matlack into this comment as well, where we have seen the full potential when they're not, you know, hurt or they're at their rightful place. You know, two years ago, Khalid Duke, he's hurt, doesn't hardly play at all in 2021. Uh, we we knew his potential that year. 2022, he's an outside linebacker, and he still played well. Don't get me wrong. We just didn't notice him as much because he wasn't sacking the quarterback right. And now he's killing it through two games as a defensive lineman. And then Nate Malak last year was mostly hurt for the year, and he only had two sacks. Now we're seeing his full potential. They're both, I mean, so reliable as defensive ends, and they're playing lights out. Well, this is an obvious statement, but it needs to be said. The game is hard to play. It's harder when you're not – near 100%, and that truly was the case for really a large portion of last year for Nate Matlack. And he is good, healthy, feeling feeling solid right now. That's a good thing. And, and for Khalid, I, I'm really happy for him because I do think he is a good player at both positions, but I think he is more disruptive and more about somebody we're going to talk about when he's playing the defensive end position because of that explosive ability, um, just simply stated. It's good to have him back there. And I, I, I just find him to be a very entertaining uh, interview, too. And it, uh, I know the Khalid Khalid thing's been out there a long time, <laughs> but it, he's, he's said Khalid forever. Well, it's just a lot, it's a lot of people just – it's just what it is. Well, he threw the curveball during the uh, – so right after uh, Proud of This House, mm-hmm. I do my introductory announcement or whatever, and then uh, before the band comes out, we get the starting lineups. Yep. And in the starting lineups, he said Khalid. I'm like, Khalid, Khalid, you're, you're, you're really messing with my job <laughs> well, here. I've I don't know him, what to say. I've asked him a hundred times so about I. it. Yeah. And, and um, you know, generally speaking, most of the – not to make a big story about this, but – when the young players come in, if you mispronounce their name, most of them won't say much, right? Some will, but most will just kind of say, oh, well, yeah, whatever, just just call me whatever. Then mama gets involved. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
that's usually when it changes, right? It's just kind of what it is. Khalid, Khalid, whatever his name is, <laughs> he's the man. Yep. Big fan. Before we take a break, I want to give one more shout-out to a player on defense, Desmond Purnell. Ooh. So Desmond like made two, I thought, really great plays, and, and really probably should give him three nods here, but plays that really stood out to me, he, he did make a play late on defense, that fourth down play. Uh, that gave K-State the ball back in such great field position. They were able to run in their last score of the game. But he he knocked down a pass, which was a great play. But I thought, you want to talk about how smart this kid is, to be able to sniff this out and then react quickly. Do you recall the play where Troy, I don't know what the down and distance was, but it was in you know minus territory, their side of the field. And you see Gunnar Watson starting to walk off and like holding his arms up in the air like, what? I, I don't know what's going on, coach. And then they just direct snap it to Vidal. Right. He had it sniffed out right away and made that play where it went for it, maybe a yard on a trick play. That was extremely nice heads up on that. Very much. And staying in your lane, right? I mean, yeah. that, that's really part of it, too. So, yeah, good read, good effort, and uh, and, and a really nice play because, you know, sometimes that can work. We've seen it work, you know, uh, in other games. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, uh, let's take a look at the Big 12. The Big 12 in Week 2, huge win for the Longhorns in Tuscaloosa. We'll talk about it next. It is Wildcat Insider on K-Man. Mitch Fortner, the voice of the Cats, Wyatt Thompson. K-State 2-0 on the year after a win this past Saturday against Troy. Final score, 42-13. K-State will be at Mizzou this Saturday. Back at Faroe Field for the first time since 2010. Both teams 2-0. 11 a.m. kick. Powercat game will start at 7 in the morning. Well, we look back at this uh, past week in the Big 12. we got to start with, of course where college game day was, and that was uh, Tuscaloosa, Alabama for number 11, Texas, number three, Alabama. You know, if I picked on Power K game day, Alabama to cover, I just figured, you know, everybody this year was expecting a close game, maybe Alabama. Not like I knew a ton about them. I just, you know, it's Alabama. I just figured them to be good. They always win at home, and um, Nick Saban is always good against his, you know, former assistants, right? Yes. Always wins, typically. I was very impressed by how in control Texas was. I mean, really from start to finish, they, even though it was a low-scoring first half, was pretty impressive. Quinn Ewers chucking the football, best game of his life. Yeah, you know, with all of that said, I'll remind everybody that Alabama led 16-13 to 13 going to the fourth quarter. Oh, yeah, that was a wild and. A and wild. And clearly, Texas was the better team in the fourth, outscoring them 21-8. You mentioned Ewers. And for me personally, there's your difference in the game, the quarterback play. Ewers throws for, what, 349 yards and three touchdowns. And the Alabama kid played well at times, but he made a couple of really, really poor reads that really cost them. And – it's an impressive win for Texas, no question. Um, I think the good thing, um, <laughs> I mean this sincerely, people now see what we were saying about Texas in terms of the talent 
because they matched up with them. How will they do moving forward, though? I mean, that's a big win for them, and I'm anxious to see how they they handle it, actually. Well, that's what I was saying to, uh, you know, I had a, a Texas interview just previewing the Longhorns back in August, and I was telling them, I was like, man, it's like it just feels like, you know, I know everybody mocks Texas for being back or whatever, but with Steve Sarkeesian entering another year where he had, I think he's been doing a good job coaching, the recruiting has been just as good for Texas, and it just felt like they had the athletes, even though they didn't have Bijan Robinson, they had so much talent and deep talent as in depth, like they should definitely be good this year. And to do what they did in Tuscaloosa was, uh, honestly, it was, sh- to give you a word, shocking. Because nobody goes into Tuscaloosa and just does that to Alabama, just controls a game. And well, Am at, I right? They'd won 40-some straight non-conference home games, yeah. and most had not been really very close. Well, and Texas won by 10, but it felt like you know, the way they just looked like they outperformed Bama almost the whole night, right. that they probably should have won by three scores. Maybe. And yeah. they could have, maybe, if yeah. some things went a little bit more their way. But yeah, Jalen Milrow threw a couple of interceptions and just was not as sharp as Quinn Ewers. And and quite honestly, you know, the, in a game that I was a little surprised there just wasn't anything going in the rushing game. It was both teams had to come down to the passing game. And that's where Texas was better. And they, I mean, they were able to do it with a former um, Alabama player. And I don't know how to say his first name, but Mitchell, who I voted actually as my preseason uh, newcomer of the year in the Big 12, had two touchdowns and seven, eight yards receiving. <laughs> I mean, it was, well, was Texas, really good on the deals. Yeah. Well, Bijan is no longer there, but they still have lots of talent. Um, but, but for me, um, you, you look at Xavier Worthy, you look at Jordan Winnington, and then uh, Sanders had 114 yards at the tight end spot and five catches. That was big for them. And they're just, you know what? There aren't very many people that can match out. There are a handful maybe, or, you know, three or four or whatever, that can match Alabama in the trenches. But Texas may be one of them now. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, that's going to be uh, yeah. a pretty scary road trip uh, when when, they, when it comes up for the Cats. Meanwhile, another game that, you know, I was trying to watch at the same time, I, I feel so bad for Texas Tech fans. I really do. I mean, they've been now crushed back-to-back weeks. Yeah, It looked like they could have beaten Oregon. Maybe they should have in the long run. They were up a couple of scores in the second half. And here comes Oregon. Tyler Shuck throws a couple of bad interceptions this game. The last one was a backdoor cover for Oregon. So feel sorry for the betters that had Texas Tech in that game. Tyler Shuck throws three interceptions and three touchdowns. Oregon, you know, had some handed to him. So at the end of the day, I still feel like Texas Tech should probably be 2-0. and Well, and they're 0-2. Yeah. They were up 27-18 going to the fourth quarter and got outscored in the fourth 20-3. to And mm-hmm. and part of that was a couple of mistakes that you talked about. And, and you, you, you know, you're not going to beat good teams or top 15 type teams, even at home, if you make issues and mistakes like that in the fourth quarter. Did they play well? Yeah, I thought for the most part they did, and they will be a dangerous team for K-State when we go to Lubbock here in a few weeks. There's no doubt about that. But they've got to be reeling a little bit at 0-2 to start. Uh, Also, uh, a game that I tried to watch a lot of when I got home finally after the K-State game was Iowa-Iowa State. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was a low-scoring game. A little bit actually maybe more higher scoring than people may have guessed, but 20-13, to the Hawkeyes win. You know, if, if Iowa State does not throw that pick six... Other than that, I actually felt like for most of the game that 
Iowa State may have been the better team. Maybe. Yeah, I don't think there's a lot of difference between these two, honestly. Uh, and, and again, Iowa State sitting there, you know, beating Northern Iowa and nobody thought they would, and probably everybody thought they would lose to Iowa. They did, but there's not much difference there. Um, I, it'll be interesting to see how Iowa State goes from here because we know that they're pretty rock solid defensively, but they've got to get decent quarterback play or maybe even better than what they've gotten so far in a one-on-one start. Now, I have, if we go back to Friday, I have not watched any KU football yet. They beat uh, Illinois back on Friday, 34-23. KU's now 2-0. and Just going by numbers, just from my – you know, Jalen Daniels plays in the game and throws for 277. Neal on the ground with a buck 20. I mean, it felt like they were in control. Just Illinois was starting to come back in the second half. They just didn't quite get there. Well, KU dominated the first half. Yeah. I mean, it, it was 28-7 to at halftime. Um, and I got to give Illinois a little bit of credit for fighting back. But I also wonder aloud, you know, did KU maybe let up just a little bit emotionally in the second half with that kind of lead? Illinois did fight till the end, though. There's no doubt about that. I, I saw some of the game, and, you know, Daniels, Daniels was good, as advertised. Uh, before we take our break, one more question, Wyatt. At the end of Utah Baylor, was it pass interference? Did you see the play? I did see the play. Um I thought it was 100% pass interference. I, I kind of did, too, if you really want to know the truth. I mean, I think more times than not, it's probably called. But Utah got the win 20-13 to 13 as Utah made the comeback. Uh, speaking of another bad uh, interception, that's what set up Utah for the go-ahead score to win 20-13. to 13. Oklahoma, BYU, West Virginia, Cincinnati, UCF. Uh, Houston loses the rice, but everybody else pretty much winners uh, this past Saturday. we got to take a break. Hour two next.